Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the kids you have blessed us with. They are indeed treasures. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you would grow them up, that you would cause them to grow in stature, but also in wisdom, in their love for you. Lord, we praise you for your word given to us. Pray, Lord, that we would grow in wisdom, that we would grow in our walk with you, together as a family, in Jesus' name. Amen. So what was on your mind as you came into the sanctuary this morning? Was it, was your mind focused on on worshiping the Lord your God with all your heart and learning from his word, applying it to your life, that as you go from this place, you would be able to live it out? That sounds nice, doesn't it? In all reality, as we gather on a Sunday, let's face it, my, my corns hurt and I have a headache and if I can just get through this song and sit down. But wait, are we going to sing that song? I don't even know that song. What's going on with those lights? There's, there's two that are different up here, by the way, right? There are thousands of life situations, cultural ideals, familial expectations, activities at work, school, personal issues that are vying for our attention on a daily, hourly, minute-by-minute basis, aren't there? There's children's sports, there's music lessons and homework, there's parents to care for and grandkids to babysit, there's phone calls, emails, Facebook, Instaphone. The interweb is full of things that grab our attention from politics to kittens to to national disasters. Then there are the environmental influences that we we go through. We don't even realize our attention is being grabbed by... (laughs) What perfume is that person wearing? Or or things we see, or sounds, smells, sights, touches, people sitting too close, people sitting too far, all fighting for our attention. Mixed in with all of this is our very real love for our Savior, our walk with Christ, our desire to see Him glorified in our lives. Mixed in with all of this is our desire for some downtime. Our need for some rest, our our desire to catch a break once in a while. And here is where we find the disciples this morning. They spent three years with Jesus, ministering by his side. And in just the last couple months of their lives, they felt the loss, the fear, the depression of watching their Lord die on a cross. Hiding from the authorities that because they just might be next. They were living in fear. And then they knew the exhilaration of his resurrection, the knowledge that he had, he was alive. It's been a roller coaster for them, hasn't it? Surely, it's time for a break. Let's go ahead and flip open to Acts chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 6. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven." The reading of God's Word. Thank you very much. Go ahead and be seated. The disciples had just finished that 40-day crash course on the kingdom of God, spending those days with Jesus, learning about the kingdom of God, that gospel message. And you would think that at this point, they just might be on the same page as he is, right? And what's the first thing they say to him? They come together, verse 6, and they ask him, Lord, would you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Are we finally done? Are we there yet? There's so many things on their mind, so many influences in their hearts and their heads. Culturally, they were taught that the Messiah would come and restore Israel. Casting off the dominion of Rome or any other nation that had been over them, had been controlling them. This is what the nation had prayed for for the last 600 years, ever since the diaspora into Babylon, ever since they were taken away from their nation 600 years earlier. It's ingrained into their hearts and minds as a culture. They were dealing with what they had been told by Jesus himself as his disciples in Luke chapter 22, Jesus said to them, before his suffering on the cross, he said to them, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That's what they were told by Jesus himself. And then on top of that, they're dealing with just their, their own desires. Who doesn't want to have a place next to the king of kings in his kingdom, right? You have the sons of thunder. Their mother came to Jesus and said, would you let one of my sons sit on your right and one of them sit on your left? And especially after all they had gone through with Jesus, can we catch a break? Can we get a little downtime now? And perhaps over those 40 days as Jesus was teaching them, they were distracted by hunger. The sun was in their eyes. Uh, the color of the carpet. Maybe it was the style of the music that bothered them. We're an easily distracted people, aren't we? Have you ever been praying for somebody and, and find yourself thinking about lunch or, or something else? Or as you read God's Word, I'll admit it, it happens to me all the time, you read a chapter and then you sit there and you go, what did I just read? And then you have to go back and read it again, really paying attention this time. As engaging as I am, is your attention constantly focused on what I am saying? <laughs> Not, don't have to laugh that hard. <laughs> it 
in our walk with Christ is our will constantly in subjection to his will? Is our focus continuously on what Jesus wants from us? Or do we ever find ourselves praying to him that that our will be done and find ourselves asking him to make it so? So let's try not to be too hard on the disciples as they bring their question before the Lord. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? How does he answer them? Verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Jesus is not unkind, is he? He does not criticize their question as illegitimate. You shouldn't have asked that. What are you thinking? He doesn't say anything like that. Sometimes the things that we are distracted with are are not necessarily bad things. It's good to care for those aging parents. It's good to babysit those grandkids. It's good to do these things. Sometimes the things we're distracted with aren't necessarily bad things, and we're often carried away by things that are immediately in front of us but are not immediately necessary. It just isn't what God has in store for us right now. Or maybe it's not what he wants our attentions devoted to right now. So Jesus firmly but gently grabs their heads and says, focus. Get your attention back to where it needs to be. Your your attention needs to be on the will of God for your life. The mission to which he was calling them. What is that mission? Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus calls the disciples to focus on the mission of his will. He had something for them to do, and it had two parts. First, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then to go from there to be witnesses to the ends of the earth of his kingdom, of his gospel message. The kingdom would not be reestablished for Israel and would not be restored until they were empowered by his spirit and they witnessed to the person works of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. So I started thinking, what exactly qualified these guys for this? What qualified the disciples for this task that they had been given? They were his disciples. They walked with him for three years. They listened to his teachings, and they followed his teachings. They knew who Jesus is. Thomas had declared, my Lord and my God, right? When he felt the nail prints in his hands put his hand in his side. Peter earlier confessed, you are the Christ, the Messiah. They could attest to his works and his words. 
To put it in other words, they had a personal testimony as to what Jesus did in their lives and at the cross for them. And lastly, they would be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, God's own Spirit living inside of them. And I'm not sure what else they had. That's about it. They, they were not educated. If you look in chapter 4 of Acts, there, there's a couple of guys standing before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin, the, the guys in the Sanhedrin, the, the ruling religious leaders of Israel, they looked at these guys and they said, they, they perceived, I believe is the word there, perceived that these guys were uneducated. They were uneducated. They were not educated. They didn't have a, a great education. They were a tax collector and some fishermen and, and maybe a few other things, right? They were not influential in any worldly sense. There were no governors. There were no statesmen. There were no religious leaders among the 11 of them. Hmm. All right. Go to verse 9 with me. And when he had said these things, he had given them their mission. As they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And, as, and while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Did you see it? Did you see the gap that is there? See, at, at this point, Jesus ascends into heaven. He goes up, they watch him go. And then some time is going to pass. And at some point, the angels declare to them and say, Jesus is going to return. Jesus is going to come back in the same way as you saw him go. And in between these two points, there's a passage of an amount of time. He was lifted up, he ascended, and he would return in the same way. And in between there, there's a gap. In between there, the disciples were called to do what? Receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Jesus ascended. Has he returned yet? Has he come back in the same way as they saw him go? If he hasn't returned, then don't the disciples still have a job to do? But the disciples are all, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're all dead and gone, yeah? But Jesus hasn't returned yet. There's a gap here, isn't there? There are still unreached people groups in the world. According to information on the Joshua Project, Dr. I went through this on a Wednesday night devotional with us. There are 16,862 people groups in the world. 
That means they share a language and a culture. Amongst those people groups, there are unreached people groups. 6,996 of them are unreached. That means they don't have an indigenous evangelical Christian ministry. They don't have a church in their culture run by their own people who can reach their people. There's very likely not even a missionary nearby. That's 3.15 billion unreached people. What has God to do? Did he leave the mission unfinished? With the disciples gone, did he just say, oh well, that didn't work out? Let me ask you a few questions. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you his disciple? Do you follow his teachings, read his word? Do you know who Jesus is? That he is the Christ, our Lord and our God, our Savior. Can you attest to his word and his works? Do you understand that God took on flesh? 100% God, 100% man, that he might be a sacrifice in our place at the cross for our sins? Do you have a personal testimony as to what Jesus Christ has done in your life? Do you have God's Spirit living within you? Are you empowered by his Spirit? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you, as we talked about last week, convinced, confident, convicted, and complete? If you've answered yes to all of these questions, then you have all of the same qualifications as the disciples before you. We are to fill the gap. We are to fill the gap. The world won't do it. If we keep our mouths closed, the world will rejoice. If we don't preach the gospel to this lost world, they will go to hell willingly, gladly, desirously. They aren't going to preach the gospel to each other. If we don't do it, who will? There are still people who need Jesus all around us, here in Alden or whatever borough, whatever city, whatever place you might live in. And it doesn't take a high education or great worldly influence to share the good news of Jesus Christ. The disciples didn't have it. But what they did have was God's own spirit living inside of them. The same spirit of power that we have abiding in us. Scripture says it is not a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, yes? And we sit back and we say, well, the spirit may not be timid, but I am. I don't think I can. I'm not gifted in evangelism. You know, evangelism is is spoken of in Scripture as a gift, and I don't have that gift. Evangelism is a gift. It's listed in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, as a gift of the Spirit. 
And there are certain gifted people in this world, in our own congregation, who are born uninhibited, able to talk, people-loving people, right? They're extroverts. And the rest of us are all introverts. Sometimes, though, you never know. You can, you can always say <laughs> amen, yeah. Uh, sometimes you can surprise yourself. You, you might just be able to develop a gift you didn't know you had if, you, if you're willing to step outside your comfort zone and try it. Did you ever notice amongst the disciples that each of them were a little bit different from the others? And you have Peter who's bold and brash and he, he speaks and acts quickly. You have the sons of thunder who say, Lord, rain down thunder upon them and destroy them because they're sinful, right? You've got Thomas. I think he was the scientist among them. He's all, give me some empirical evidence before I believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Some of them we don't even know real well. Those are the introverts. They were all different. But all of them received the same call from Jesus Christ. When Jesus did his 40-day crash course on the kingdom of God, he included all of them. He didn't say, oh, well, you're, you're shy, so why don't you stand over there? I'm going to talk to Peter and, and the others over here. He included all 11 of them in that time. Not everyone is bound for street evangelism, but every single one of us has a soil. Every single one of us has a sphere of influenced lives. A sphere of influenced lives. A, a group of people around you that you influence in some way. You share common interests with them. You talk with them regularly. You share life with them. They're family, friends, co-workers, neighbors. In some way, you touch them on a regular basis. Studies show that you have 6 to 12 people in your life that you touch regularly in some fashion. Who's in your soil? Think about some names of specific people that are in your soil, your sphere of influence lives. Where can you begin to plant seeds of your faith in Jesus Christ? Make it real. Not just something we think about and then we leave. Start thinking about names of particular people. Make a list of 6 to 12 people who you want to begin praying for and then tangibly reaching out to. You don't have to plant a whole tree, just hit them with the gospel. Bam! You need to believe in Jesus Christ if you don't go to hell and that kind of You don't need to plant a whole tree at once. You can plant just one seed at a time, one conversation, one bit. This may sound wrong, but use the trials, use the bad things in their lives to reach out to them for Christ. Bring them aside and say, can I pray for you? on that and then pray for him right there not just i'll pray for you man and then, and see you later and and then they're going okay i wonder if he's really going to do that i wonder if she really and then we go off and we forget right pray for him right there you'd be amazed how many atheists agnostics and christ haters will take your prayers when they're going through a trial 
when you're engaged in a conversation with somebody, let them know what's going on in your life. You know, I was going through this, but God really used that in my life to shape me and mold me into this. Tell them your own personal testimony, what Jesus Christ has done in your life this week, last month. There are people that you can reach that I will never be able to reach. The, the, the whole pastoral staff of Alden Union won't be able to reach the numbers that you guys can reach, that we as a church family should be able to reach. The, the question before us is, are we praying for Christ's return and in the meantime doing little or nothing with the talents, the personality, the sphere of influence and time that he has given to us here on this earth? Are we doing something for the sake of his kingdom? Or, or are we burying those gifts in the ground? Are we using those gifts merely on the distractions of this world and our own goals? Or are we fulfilling God's will for us individually and as a body, as a church body? Are, are we willing to become tools in our Redeemer's hands? The trick is remembering that you don't have to be somebody that you are not. And at the same time, we can't make excuses for ourselves to not do what God has called us to do. Be who you are. Don't make excuses. I, I, I'm preaching to myself at the same time as I preach to you. Sometimes our greatest distraction is our pride or, or Satan whispering in our ear, you can't do that. You wouldn't know what to say or what to do. What if they ac actually asked you a question? But we are his ambassadors. That's what scripture calls us. Not the building. The building will not draw anyone to Christ. God needs to shine through us. We are the church. And, and Jesus does not say, go to church and pray a lot. Those are good things, and we can read some other passages that describe to us that those are things we should be doing, but that isn't what Jesus tells the disciples their mission is here, is it? Matthew 28, 19. You got it memorized, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have given to you. Look here in Acts chapter 8. What does he tell them their mission is? He says, you will be my witnesses in Alden and in all Pennsylvania and the United States and to the ends of the earth. We are called to fill the gap, to keep our lives focused on the mission of his will and not distracted by the things of this world, the things around us. We are called to share the gospel, to plant the seeds of Christ in the soil that he has given us each as individuals. 
Do you have your list yet? Have you begun jotting down those names? If not, when you go home and you have your devotional time, you spend time praying to God, pray that he would bring those names to your mind, that he'd bring those people to your heart, that you would have the opportunities to plant gospel seeds into their lives. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for the conviction of your word. Lord, we pray that this call that you've given to us to fill the gap, to share your gospel, to be ambassadors for Christ and influence in this fallen world, that that would be a conviction of our hearts beyond the time that we sit here and we gather as a family and we worship together, but that'd be a conviction of our hearts as we go out into this world. Help us, Lord, to find those ways to introduce Christ into conversation. Help us, Lord, to invite people to come here. As simple as that. Remind us of these things as we talk to people. Please, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, fill us up that we would be tools in your hands. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.